0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. Today, I have Jennifer Joyce, a longtime friend of mine, as well as an exceptional entrepreneur, uh, with us today. Uh, Jennifer is an experienced real estate professional specialized in Texas market. Her investing skills and experience spent over 20 years performing various real estate investment activities. She started with single-family investment and then transitioned to the commercial real estate in 2007 with emphasis on large value-add opportunities. She has an excellent reputation building relationships with broker, professional services, investors and vendors. Excellent financing history with no bankruptcy and high credit scores puts a great amount of focus into building a team to acquire and operate properties. Um, Dedicated to providing transparency, well-thought-out business strategies and financial reports to her investors and great promoter of community development activities and take pride in safe and livable solution. Um, And Jennifer today should just share with me. She has uh, her portfolio is going to be over 1,500 units, uh, multifamily property owned and uh, managed currently. And uh, I think Jennifer's husband's actually also working kind of in the business. We'll get into a little bit more in this uh, episode. Welcome to our show today, Jennifer thank you so much how are you good doing good yeah she she's a one that has a lot of energy so it's energy level for our episode today um and so jennifer we always ask all our friends this question to start our show which is when you think back in your past um who or which incident kind of shaped the entrepreneur who you are today Great. Yeah. So to answer that, there was
1: actually two integral people when I was a child that contributed to today. Uh, My mother was a teacher and my father was a programmer. And so I had two W2 parents uh, influencing me and found out that one of my father's cousins decided to start his own business. And I was very much Mm. surprised by that. Didn't know it was out there. I didn't know you could do anything other than work for anybody else. Uh, And he just decided one day that he was going to go start his own business. So that gave me some awareness that it was possible, that there's Mm -hmm. things out there besides um, just, you know, uh, going to college and getting a good job. The other influencer was actually my mother. So Mm -hmm. even though she was a teacher, she also owned rental properties. So every summer when the school year would end, me and my brother would go work on the rental properties and all of her leases expired in the summer. So they <laughs> cleaned, gutted, you know, all of the the things you could imagine as a nightmare on a rental property. We saw as children, right? Yeah. And you got to do all of that work is yeah. my brother, my mother and me. Yeah. And so uh, I came away from that experience pretty much fearless because I felt like I had seen the worst, yeah. you know, child, everything's a little bit exacerbated. So I thought that's as bad as it could possibly get. Right. And, and so that opened my eyes to real estate very young. So I'm Mm -hmm. second generation and I also knew how bad it could get and that you can recover from that. Mm -hmm. So that, that sense of analysis paralysis didn't exist. I knew it was possible to start businesses through real estate and and earn income from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, because you kind of see the worst and then the but also you see the recovery. I think that's really great to emphasise is from that, which is the resiliency of a real assets. Um and so moving forward, but you didn't end up just become an entrepreneur right out the gate. You kind of fulfill the W-2 duty. Tell us a little bit about that transition, um, you know, like how how that kind of transpired.
1: Like any any parents, they want their child to go get a degree, right? So I was very much uh, pushed in that direction to go ahead and get a degree. So while I was getting my degree, I had to earn money in order to pay for the tuition. And so I stumbled into the IT world while I was earning my degree but my a degree was in accounting mm-hmm. uh I wanted I was really good at math and I felt like it was a good fit and uh so I was studying to be an accountant while earning an income in IT so by the time I graduated with my bachelor's the entry level position for an accountant was a $25,000 pay cut to oh, go uh, to my degree yeah and, So I said, who would want to do that? But I satisfied (laughs) the requirement of my parents. I got the degree and I stayed in the IT world for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Then after uh, my firstborn, I wanted to scale back. I wanted to have less hours, less less, uh, travel. I was traveling for IT. And so I said, you know, my husband was making good money by that time. And I said, well, why don't I try out this accounting degree that I got Mm -hmm. all those years ago? And went of all places and worked for CB Richard Ellis, keeping the books on high-rise office buildings and to see uh, profit and loss statements for owners and third-party property manager salaries and all the things related to that behind the scenes that you see as an accountant. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it just further pushed me into uh, the real estate side. You know, Mm -hmm. I I kept getting exposed over and over again. Yeah. Uh, and once I had my college tuition paid for through my IT degree, I also started investing in real estate. So I was working and traveling, working and traveling and buying real estate all along the way. And like most people started out in single family, because that's what I had been taught by my mother.
0: Right. And
1: then I thought the strategy was you you buy one house, then you buy two, and eventually you'll own multifamily and, and, and larger assets as you keep duplicating that money. hmm
0: yeah that's awesome um that's a huge transition but also one that you kind of collected your skill sets along the way uh to do that now um you mentioned you have some single family holdings like a lot of us we started with single family and get kind of transitioned into the bigger bigger games um so what what is your first investment like you know being you know single family what did you learn how did you get into it you know
1: so uh, m- like most people, I paid for a course with, with a guru. And so 20 years ago, I found a guy who actually, I just recently found out he's still doing it. He's still educating. And I took a course where he went over all the different possibilities in real estate. And one of the things that he provided was purchase contracts, assignment contracts, and leases. Mm-hmm. So when I bought my very first house, I actually used his templates to get started Mm-hmm. And what I learned with that first rental property is as much as they try to give you a template of what they think might go right or wrong, mm-hmm. you learn as you own or operate what might go right or wrong. And but, so I learned to revise my leases the further I got into circumstances for that next resident. Mm-hmm. Every time we had something go awry, we built it into our next lease for either a renewal or a new house.
0: hmm yeah, that's awesome. Um, kind of really learning on the on the go type of thing. Um, and uh, so from a single family uh, and how did you find a funding for that? Did you just saved up from your W-2 and kind of uh, bought your own properties?
1: Some of it was W-2 and some of it was the timing. So 20 years ago, we had the refi boom which also meant we had hundred percent financing, no doc, no credit, no income. Everybody's heard about that because they saw the results of it in 2008, right? right? Back in 2000, 2001, you could, if you did it correctly, you could find things that were going to rent for more than the mortgage payment. And you right. could go in with little to no money down. And so I was taking my W-2 savings and put, taking care of the closing costs or partial down payments and getting into as many single families as I possibly could during that time. Now you paid an interest rate for doing it that way, but I still was able to cover all the expenses and make a little profit on every single one that I did. Yeah, And it was just a strategy that I used to get into the space very young Mm -hmm. because the fear factor was already gone from my childhood. And so now hundred percent financing was available. And Mm -hmm. I knew over time, those properties would appreciate. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Um, And uh, so then how did you transition into the commercial space?
1: Into the commercial space. uh, So as you grow your single family portfolio, then you start to get more creative. You want to buy things for cents on the dollar. You don't want to pay retail. So we started looking at bankruptcies, foreclosures, tax sales, and we ended up buying property at the steps and turning around and flipping it for bigger, bigger cash proceeds to double and triple. And so we started buying small multifamily through bankruptcies, foreclosures and tax sales. Mm. And so our first apartment complex was 12 units in Arlington, Texas, Mm -hmm. and we bought it on the steps cash. So (laughs) we only knew at the time to use our own money. We didn't know any other way other than getting a loan for a partial uh, real estate transaction or paying all cash at the steps to do that type of transaction. Got gotcha. it. That's all we knew at the time. So 2007 was our very first multifamily building. Nice. Nice.
0: And so 2007, the first multifamily building, I think in between there was like 2008, was that right before the crash or was that right after crash? And how do you kind of deal with that? Uh,
1: so the 2008 was the second uh, market correction we had been through. Right. The first one was nine So Uh we purchased a ton of single family right before 9-11. And then we bought our first multifamily right before the 2008 crash. Great. (laughs) So that was our second correction. But the good thing about rental properties is when things are going in the wrong direction for your homeowners, you have increased rent amounts happening in the rental space. Mm. So our rental properties were thriving through those economic corrections. And then they kind of stabilize and then people start selling off again because prices are rising. Then you have your economic correction, then rents raise again, and you start all over. So it's it's very much almost like a 10-year cycle. And we figured out now that it's 2021, we figured out they last about 8 to 12 years between mm-hmm. cycles. So we should expect there to be a, a correction about every 8 to 12 years just off of my adult life, mm-hmm. that, not going off of... Uh, economics or anything like that. Just my personal experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then some will say that maybe the corrections already happened. You know, that's often a question I got from investors about, hey, where do you think the market is? Uh, and some will say, hey, the correction already happened. Uh, and it's true for small business owners. Um, and um, and some will say, well, we don't know when the shoe is dropped. Um, so what what's kind of your take on that? So I think we had a Texas winter freeze
1: and the Texas winter freeze is gone, but we have not had our winter yet. And we're starting to see signs of that. I mean, if you look at, we have a labor shortage, there's for higher signs everywhere. Uh, There's supply chain issues everywhere. Uh, We're still infusing millions, if actually trillions of dollars into our economy. There's going to be a consequence for that. Uh, And we have some uh, tax laws that are expiring
0: next year. Got it. So right now, are you in the more acquisition mode, or are you more in a stay see and cautiously proceed, or more a uh, kind of like, oh, well, waiting and see?
1: We were never wait and see. So everybody's remembering the last eighteen months to two years. Uh, the minute that that happened, we saw that as that our sign of the next economic correction is on the way. So we went into a frenzy of acquisitions last year. There was a lot of people who went to the sidelines, a lot of people who wanted to wait and see. We did the opposite. We started buying as fast as we could. We also saw opportunity because people were unsure of the market. We were getting major COVID discounts on properties to to the tune of uh, seven figures off of properties we were buying. Things have rubber banded a little bit back where everybody's wanting to get a, a, a larger price. We see another opportunity that if we buy correctly and we're smart about how we enter the multifamily property, we could potentially still sell before the economic correction comes, but we plan for both. Okay. You always want to have two to three exit strategies for everything. So when we go into something, we have a strategy to get out. We have a strategy to do a capital event and we have a strategy to hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's more um, buy and wait, but then if we see more more appreciation of the market, you can position that property to sell and maybe get to the point where investors are getting in and out at the returns they're looking for, versus waiting for the entire business plan to play out over that correction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But we yeah. have a business plan in place across that correction, so that if we hold, they're still going to get their uh, their protected asset and investment back. Got it.
0: That's awesome. And then so in terms of the roles that you play, because we know that you mentioned you specialize in Texas market, but really you have properties all over the country. Um and <laughs> I know that. Um so can you kind of shed some lights on um, you know, deal acquisition, how do you end up in all these different properties across the country? Um, and how do you kind of scale and manage these? So I can't do it without teams for sure.
1: We have internal teams and external teams that we work with. This is not like single family where, you know, you can do it alone. You have to have teams of people behind you making it happen. And what you're doing is you're also getting back your time. So you're spreading the work around and you're only spending a portion of your time times 10 or 12 people and those can be people that you've third party hired or people you partner with. But when you spread the time across people, you get hours back yourself. So that's very different from the single family side where we were doing the hammer and the lease up and the, the phone calls on Christmas, right? right. Now yeah. we don't take care of any of those things. Now we're looking at how is it financially performing for my investors? If it's not going in the direction as fast as I'd like it to, who can I call on the team, right? Mm-hmm. So they can start working and put, focusing more energy there. Uh, so very different to work on a, in a team
0: environment as opposed to working alone or with your spouse. Right.
1: Um, So that's a big piece. Did that answer your question?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That did, uh, which is kind of using team to cross leverage. Now we always talked about as an entrepreneur, we all each have our superpowers. So what is your superpower? Someone to come and ask you, like, let's just say in the future, many, 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 many years later, Uh, (laughs) and then uh, someone's asking, okay, what is the special power you had on earth over here? You know, um, what would that be? Never look at
1: the box. I always look outside the box. So if there's a solution in the space that's been duplicated, that's the core of what we do. Like buying multifamily can be duplicated. But what we do outside of that is, is there a better way to buy multifamily? And Mm -hmm. so now we're constantly moving the needle internally, not just on the asset. Can we make it easier or better or cheaper to buy multifamily? Is there a better structure that doesn't exist today that would make it happen faster for everyone? Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of stuff at this level where you want my time freed up because then I just dream about RevOps. I dream right. about better ways to make revenue. I dream about better ways to make operations efficient. I build systems and processes and teams That's where the true superpower comes in Mm -hmm. is if you can figure out that magic, the real estate is a vehicle. It's no longer about multifamily.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And can kind of pivot into other areas. Um, And speaking of a new models, craving ways to do things. Now we all know in syndication world um, that a lot of people are doing raising money for a single deal. Um, I know I understand that your operation is slightly different. Can you kind of get into a little bit more details of that? Sure. So we bought 1500 doors in
1: 19 months. And what we started to notice at that speed is that our closings were colliding. So when you fundraise for property A versus property B, and they happen to be in the same market, our investors were getting confused about which deal we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And so it it started out as just a, a good problem to have. Yeah. And wanted to create a solution around it. And so what we are doing instead of direct asset syndication, where we pick out an address and we put together a, an offering of how you can get involved as an investor. Now we've moved over to a fund that can hold more than one address and they can be purchased and sold at different times. Mm -hmm. So instead our offering is about what kind of returns the investor will expect to receive. And we go about getting uh, more negotiation powder power with brokers by crowdsourcing those dollars ahead of the, of the address. We also get better terms with the structure of the team. Mm-hmm. And all the while, the investors are already happy with what kind of returns they can expect. Mm-hmm. We also can diversify their exposure to risk because we can put things that are very stabilized, very nice properties, newer properties next to a property that is is a little older, needs some TLC and is going to have uh, some good cash flow with a little more risk and mm-hmm. and even partner a small portion of the portfolio with some distressed property right. that has a lot of lift that's involved to get it back turned around and a stabilized asset through our business plan mm-hmm. all of those combined together can give that assurity to our investors that their money is protected.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: they get the they get the the benefit of all of those negotiations we've done on price and team percentages and equity stakes. And they even get a bigger bump on what's possible for their returns because we've gone above and beyond
0: what a passive investor's usual uh, percentage of the equity is. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, and so how do you I guess the return you kind of allude to it is due to the diversification of the asset that you hold in the funds. Um, like, you know, one question people will have, like, how do you actually because back end is still hinge on these assets, but how can you provide a better return than like just the asset themselves? The reason is, is because when we come in with a certain dollar amount
1: to fund that address, we've negotiated not just the LP structure that the team has put together. We also negotiate some ownership equity in the GP stake. Mm -hmm. And we pass that both of those buckets to our investors in the fund. Mm -hmm. So they're benefiting from both sides of the transaction, Mm -hmm. the sweat equity and also the passive investment. Mm -hmm. And so for them, it's gonna actually pay better than directly investing into the asset syndication. And the more we do that, the more dollars we have ahead of time by crowdfunding those, the better the negotiations get, the better returns will be. Absolutely right. We pass promote on to our investors
0: along with their passive investment. That's why the returns are better inside of what we're offering. Got it. Um, So as a business, um, you know, kind of let's switch gear a little bit with from the investment and building up the business. Um, There's many questions that we want to ask about, like building out this business. Um, You know, how then do you make money? Right. Like we always have these questions of like how then do you actually make money um, because you already passed some of these profit to an investor as well.
1: So we we are not we are not looking for a large share. But what we are doing is we are creating a larger bucket of money. So if I need to if I need to do um, my income that I need from that property on a 10 million dollar purchase, then I'm I'm just subject to that particular transaction. But when I'm going to buy 10, $10 million transactions for $100 million, then I don't need times 10 for me to be okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now I can give more of it to my investors and I can keep less than if I just do one address at a time. So even I don't need more because at that point we've added several extra commas. So at the end of the day, my family is still going to be able to have a house and a car and go to school and do the things it needs to do. We're not looking to take the same percentage home just because we did 10 times the volume.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you also have to put in a lot more effort when you do commence a bigger piece of pie. Absolutely. Um, But it
1: creates some economies of scale there where now when I was doing it with business partners that all took equity stake, now I can hire W-2 employees to do some of the work that we were doing through business partners.
0: Yeah, that's a great segue to my next question, which is um, hiring. So I know that there's always a growing pain challenges on hiring. Um, and uh, do you have any suggestions to folk who are listening to this, maybe thinking about going through that growing pain right now? Um, what are some of the positions that you see are the best hire, like best hire for your first couple employees? And then also follow up question to that is when is a good time to switch to a W2 employee versus a vendor?
1: Yeah, So we, I've had some of this come from corporate America. Uh, by the time I left corporate America, we had done things like disk profiles or personality testing. And so I took all that knowledge over here and the first people that I hired were direct copies of me mm-hmm. that were virtual assistants and office managers if they had a a similar work ethic, personality, and profile type, then I'm able to extend my strengths Mm. further. Mm. And so then I can offload some of the things I understand and love onto them, and they're a direct copy of me. Mm. So we actually started there as opposed to, I'm not really good at social media, I should hire a social media person. Instead, I hired an accountant, because I have an accounting background, and I want them to my language so I can get some help in accounting with these uh, financial statements. Mm. And that's been extremely successful. But what we found through that process is expect it to be three times as long as you want it to be, if not longer. And you're gonna go through a lot of attrition before you find the one. And what we learned through that is it even had to be a certain personality type on a personality profile that was highly effective and, and successful inside our team and so I would expect just like you're building relationships with investors or partners you're going to have to invest way more time than you want to in building an internal team and so the first hire is probably not going to stay with you very long you will get better as a business owner hiring and
0: firing as you get to know people and what your needs truly are Mm -hmm. absolutely Um, Now, interestingly, that is a very opposite method than I've heard other people do, which is to hire what they're not good at, uh, and then getting that uh, work that they're not competent uh, to other people who are like, really, this is their superpower to work on. Um, So uh, I'm guessing subsequently, you did hire people who are uh, doing the stuff that that you're not particularly good with, um, and then kind of carry that baton as well
1: it's been a very interesting journey. So what's happened by almost doing the opposite of what everybody else thinks they should do, right? We, you're, you're taught when you go into large multifamily to partner with your weaknesses. So guess what happens with your business partners? Mm-hmm. They hire lookalikes to them. So if you're not good at social media, but your partner is, and they hire a virtual assistant or a staff member who's good at social media, they can speak their language and make an extension of themselves. So you don't eliminate all your partners, you're still going to have weaknesses, you're still going to partner with your weaknesses, but they have the ability to grow their teams as well. Yeah. And then hopefully you end up staying with the similar partners as you go into your five or 10 or 20 year projections, mm-hmm. and they continue to bring those weaknesses through staff members over time.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Got it. So hire your weaknesses. You kind of answered a question of weaknesses, but maybe partner with people who are similar to you. It depends on situations and the roles the that opp- you want them to play.
1: You're, it's the opposite. You're going to hire your strengths and you're uh-huh. your partner weaknesses and your gotcha. partners are going to hire their,
0: their similar, their similar people because they understand them.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Very good. Uh, Learned something. Uh, Maybe that's why all these years bending my head on hiring people. (laughs) Um, Great. Um, And uh, so what is kind of like five years, 10 years from here, Jennifer, for you and your family?
1: So five years from now, uh, we will be probably working on fund number four or five Uh, We see this first one uh, establishing track record, and then they'll get pretty quick after that, just like buying multifamily. Uh, What I see in 10 years is we'll be headed for another correction, right? We'll be back in the full cycle of things. So my kids will be teenagers at that point, and uh, uh, we'll be preparing for the next appreciation of the market and then the corrections. So um, I like that it's a decade long, I, you know, somewhere from eight to 12 years, it works really well to plan for that, but it took me two and a half corrections to figure this out. It, it took the pandemic showing up for that light bulb to go on that we have an opportunity here. Do I really want to wait 10 more years? Yeah. So if you take advantage of where we are in the cycle today, I wouldn't wait that, that decade, I
0: would get started today. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, so, but for Is there like a unicorn life impacted? Like, is there a scalability increase? Because I know you mentioned about different fonts and I have questions for that too later. Um, But is there also like some ultimate goals that you're kind of setting for yourself with that midterm goal?
1: Usually once you have found your uh, superpower and that's become a large part of your day, you start dreaming towards how you can give back. Uh, so now the focus is shifting. We, you know, our, our, uh, income comes from multifamily. It's all we do. Our income is, comes from fund management. It's all we do. Now we're looking at how to give back in the world. Mm-hmm. So what's become, uh, really important to us is patriotism and also homelessness. We're already in the housing space. I was raised to be extremely patriotic. Uh, my father served, my nephew is leaving for the air force soon. Uh, So we wanted to find a way to tie in the things that we're passionate about Mm -hmm. into a solution that can benefit the world. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing some very interesting things, talking to mayors about their homelessness problem. And it's very early on in the plans. But what we have found is that usually homelessness is a symptom of a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. So it's not as simple as putting a roof over head. There's some social services side to it as well. Mm -hmm. So in five or 10 years, Even though we have a lot of income coming in from funds, what I really see going on is philanthropy back into a housing related topic Mm -hmm. like homelessness or helping our veterans or getting them off the street and getting them the care they need to be able to get back on their feet Mm -hmm. Uh, after serving in the government world, coming back and integrating into the civilian world. We want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. That's the feel good side of the business that we
0: see coming from the vehicles we're using. Mm-hmm. that's awesome that's great um, and uh, I know that you have two lovely children um, and uh, what are you doing today to kind of set them up for you know financial literacy financial success
1: we, we involve them in everything so uh, there's times where we've pulled them out of school uh, and taken them to a closing or a property tour uh, or a sign picture I have pictures of my kids with everything we've bought in the sign <laughs> So as they get taller and taller and taller, there's going to be this whole photo album. And, you know, if they decide to do it, they're going to be third generation. I'm not going to push that on them. That's if they want to do that. Uh, I want to, I want them to do what they love and be successful at it. But I want them to understand what their parents sacrifice to as well. How much it takes to run a business, how much it takes to do something like what we're doing, but that we also set no ceiling on mm-hmm. what we were doing. And that they can do anything they set their minds to. Uh, the financial literacy will come later when they're a bit older, uh, but we are gonna start showing them how to what we look at in the books, why we look at it. They know all my property managers' names right now. So now it's more about people than it is numbers. Later
0: that that'll that'll build on that. They'll do people and numbers. That's great. That's awesome. And I understand that that you work, your husband kind of work in the same industry as you do. And kind of get into this a little bit. Um, what what does he do?
1: Or so John's background was in uh, casualty insurance claims, and he got so good at what he did. They moved him to commercial, and then they moved him into mediation, expert witness, and something that's called the appraisal process. And so he got extremely good at finding things wrong with commercial buildings, and and telling somebody what it's going to take to bring it back to where it was. Mm-hmm. And so he used all of that knowledge from that industry to come alongside me and do uh, multifamily construction, damage consulting and expert witnessing when these claims for these big multifamily losses don't go the way we want them to. Mm -hmm. Um, So he siloed into the uh, building consulting, the damage consulting and the construction side. And I deal with all of the acquisitions business plan implementation, and
0: RevOps. That's awesome. Um, And then how do you kind of deal with, how do you separate work from life? You know, being (laughs) working with your spouse as well uh, all the time. One of the reasons that uh, we
1: silo is because we learned very early that we have two A-type personalities and we needed to stay in our lane, right? (laughs) So it's separate on purpose. Uh, and one of the ways we balanced it with family is what I went into multifamily full time to get my time back. Uh-huh. So my work day is when the kids are at school and when they're in bed and I get to take any day's offer on, I want to. So I go to field trips. I get involved in their school. I balance it around a different schedule than a nine to five. Mm-hmm. So I get about six hours of work in a day. And because of my family and the importance we have there, it makes me better at being time efficient or delegating. Mm -hmm. If I don't have more time, who can help me with this? Right. Right? I'm constantly asking myself, is there anybody else who who could take this on? So it doesn't have to sit in my inbox. as an unread email till it gets done. Right. 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 And so it's made me better. And then summers are even harder because they're home. So then I get even more efficient at who can help me with this so that I can have my summer back with my kids. Yeah. So I think it's going to be an ongoing process. I don't think there is a balance. It's just, are you improving? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Great. Well, awesome. Well, this is about to end. Uh, It's at the bottom of our show over here. Jennifer, how can people find out what you do, what your fund is about?
1: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We have a website. It's www.jjcapitalinvestments.com. So I'm Jennifer Joyce and I'm JJ Capital
0: Investments. That's awesome. Or J, JJ, it's not, I saw it was John, John there it, Yeah, <laughs> a, our kids' names are J's too. So everybody, <laughs> JJ. <laughs> Makes it easy. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for your time today. Um, and that's a wrap for our uh, 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence for this episode. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Take care.